All right, well, uh, once again, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the National Town Hall. We'll go with a uh, national officer update, uh, and then we have the uh, committee updates from, uh, let's see, eight committees will be presenting. I'm gonna put my disclaimer up front. Uh, not two minutes ago, I got off the call with the negotiating committee. They are not sure if they're gonna be able to cut out to get on this call. Uh, they're basically locked down right now with the the, uh, the company, which is a good thing for them, uh, but not a good thing, obviously, for those of us here waiting for updates. But uh, I'll give you what I can from my end. So uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to President Captain uh, uh, Ed Sitcher. What do you have for the group? Hey, Chris, can you hear me? Yeah, loud and clear, Ed. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm in uh, Washington here. We were just down here for the FAA Safety Summit today with the safety team and the government affairs uh, yesterday, I was up in Chicago, excuse me, New York for the uh, JP Morgan Investors Conference. Uh, we've been carrying the message for the pilots to the investors, to the press, to the FAA that, uh, you know, and they're different messages, but basically uh, to the investors that what, what's been offered to us at the table is not what fixes American Airlines at this point. Uh, we need to see more progress. Our pilots can't trade trips. They can't enhance their schedule. Our quality of life is trailing in the industry. Uh, that message was brought there yesterday. Today at the FAA Safety Summit, uh, the FAA convened a summit over the rash of recent incidents that we've had. And uh, we were there in force to go ahead and let them know that if they want to know what's going on, ask us. The FAA is data hungry and they've got all the data they need. They're just not very good at analyzing the data. All they need to do is ask the operators. We're closest to the operation. We see what's going on on a day-to-day -day -day basis, and we could tell them where the problems are. Uh, that's been pretty much my week. I know that we'll get to what's happening at the negotiating table a little later in the call, I'm sure. Uh, unfortunately, John Owens and the negotiating team are locked up right now on an off-site location. I just got a brief from John not long ago, uh, so I'll be able to relay that a little later in the call, and I'm going to hand it back to you, Chris. All right. Thanks, Ed. Um, and Ed, if you do have to jump off, let me know, because I'd like you to give that update before we get to the negotiating portion of it. Absolutely. I should be able to stay here. I just rolled a flight till tomorrow morning, Chris. I'm just going to stay in Washington till the call is over. Perfect. Thanks. Uh, so the only other two things before we get into the questions are next town hall uh, as standard third Wednesday of the month, which will be 12 April at 1600. And as always, if you've got feedback, please send it to the feedback at alliedpilots.org. Uh, all right, so to the first question, why isn't APA responding to ISOM's video publicly? The short answer to this is we are. This is, uh, you know, everybody I'm sure knows Dennis Taser. He's he's out there spreading the word for APA. This is an article from yesterday from Airline Weekly, uh, and just some highlights from this. They took quotes from our uh, offer, what offer uh, leadership blast that went out the, uh, I believe that was Sunday. And so for the folks who are not on a uh, laptop or a device, I'm just going to read here an excerpt from it. Uh, Robert Isom's negotiating team has not made any offer to APA's negotiating team containing pay, benefits, or the significant improvement to scheduling related and quality of life items referenced in his direct message to the pilots on Tuesday, APA said Sunday. Offers are made at the bargaining table, not through videos or membership or letters to Congress, the union said. This was followed up by a quote from uh, Dennis himself. Uh, said Taser was, uh, Taser said the union was surprised that Isom seemed to bypass its negotiators. Uh, and the quote is, is this a nefarious attempt to bypass the union or are they so disorganized that they forgot to pass us anything at the table? Going to Capitol Hill with an offer is unprecedented. And at the end of the article, again from Taser, we've been on record. We are encouraged by what Robert Isom is saying. 
by his commitment that quality of life issues are addressed, but now we're concerned that there's a disconnect between the energy expended with the media and on Capitol Hill and the energy expended at the negotiating table. So this is just an example. Again, Dennis is out there all over the place, uh, basically talking, uh, uh, talking to the media regarding APA side of this uh, whenever he can. Next question, uh, let's see, Eric McEldowney, are you on the call? Uh, this is going to be for you. I don't see you, but uh, I'll read it off here. JetBlue is now flying to England and France. Can we get an update on how the alliance we have with them affected our flying? Has it been positive or negative? Has the DOJ made their final decision on the alliance? Uh, Eric McEldowney, are you there? If not, I'll take this. Okay, so he did, er, did give me a summary here. Um, but from his summary, the DOT approval requires an aggregate growth for the Northeast Alliance, meaning that between the two carriers, the NEA as a whole must be able to show capacity growth. JetBlue's trans transatlantic growth cannot be used in the calculation. In terms of growth required by the DOT, it mean, it uh, by the DOT, the route means very little in terms of what it means for overall growth at American mainline flying that has yet to be seen. Right now, we have fewer wide bodies than we, than we did in 2019, and our parish flying remains well below the 2019 levels and is projected to stay that way. So what he also provided was a snapshot, and you'll see three slides uh, up here. And these are um, a snapshot of flying from the NEA airports, which is LaGuardia, JFK, Newark, and Boston. Uh, they compare the JetBlue flying, which is in orange there, and the American flying since January of 2021, which was when the agreement was approved by the DOT. Uh, so the slides compare on that first one, the departing number of flights. Uh, on the second one, even though it says flights, this is actually hours. Um, and on the third one, it's the, uh, the ASMs, the available seat miles. And so big picture, what you're seeing is there is some movement, but the, the movement is mostly linear between, uh, or I should say, um, uh, comparative between the two and 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 uh chris yeah. can i uh, add a little on that absolutely too? um you know robert eisen was asked this question by uh some pretty high power investors in new york yesterday and, and his answer was pretty interesting he said he does not have a plan b that there is no plan b he is so convinced that this nea is going to fly that he doesn't even have a plan in case it doesn't, which is surprising to me because the information that we're getting up here in Washington from the Department of Justice is that this is by no means a done deal. So we're not sure where he's going with this, but I can tell you this, I just flew on JetBlue up here and you know the priority boarding is given to Mosaic members and American uh, ambassadors. So, I mean, this, this deal has already been done effectively it's in use so the the doj is going to have to pull this thing back apart now if you look at those departures chris the investors brought up the same thing that we brought up it doesn't appear that american airlines is benefiting from this and the question asked to robert i thought was a real good one you're going to love this uh one of the investors said are you running a marketing company or are you running an airline and and i thought that was interesting um of course you know the answer is no we're running an airline but at the same time, especially with what Raju is putting out there, I sometimes wonder, are we running an airline or are we running a marketing company that just enters into alliances and sells virtual flights that really occur organically on somebody else's airline? But uh, anyway, that, that's all I wanted to add on that, Chris. I thought that was interesting. All right. Thanks, Ed. Next question. Uh, <clears throat> Ed, this one's going to be for you, so don't go far. Many of the pilots feel we have received conflicting information on negotiations. The negotiating committee updates seem to think we are making progress while Captain Sitcher is sending out blasts that indicate things aren't going well. What's going on? 
All right, Chris, thank, thanks for giving me this question. Look, we are in a rapidly moving environment where the CEO has decided he's going to negotiate directly around the negotiating committee for the union and directly with pilots and directly with, with our congressmen on Capitol Hill, which is interesting. That's never been done before. You know, for instance, last week, Robert went ahead and gave a message to congressmen, and it indicated that our top-paying wide-body captains are going to be making over a half million, are going to be making over a half million dollars a year with the offer he's given us. And he, he, he gave that letter through his government affairs committee directly to our congressmen. And as you know, these guys are making maybe a buck 50. They're, they're making what our entry-level first officers are making, breeding jealousies, building divides. I don't know what he's doing that for, maybe to prep for the NMB. That, that's a concerning thing. Also on Sunday, when the last blast went out, that Robert had, as of yet, not given us a pay proposal at the table. Lo and behold, on Monday morning, here comes a pay proposal. Now, the pay proposal, in my opinion, and I, I can't say too much on this, was a far cry from what the board of directors requested, what we put out as our pass. But the, the minute we put out a blast saying we still haven't received anything, Robert goes ahead and responds in kind with something that they probably scratched together on on a napkin in the cafeteria just to go ahead and respond to us. So, you know, really, I've gotten indications from the negotiating committee that we are moving forward. We are moving forward. But realize, we've given them the small pebbles, the little rocks first, the small things, jump seat, uh, deadhead, uh, section 20. We've given them stuff that really should be easy to solve. And for weeks of negotiating, I feel we've made progress but the real big boulders, the heavy lifts, Section 4C, recovery obligation, Section 15, our work rules. Our, our, our members can't trade trips, enhance their schedules. Our members can't do a whole lot of things that other airline members have taken for granted. And those are going to be the real hurdles that we have to get over before we get to an agreement that I feel is going to be something that merits the board of directors to approve and pass on. To the, to the members for approval. So, Chris, the answer to this question, even though I gave a very long and lengthy debate, is first of all, it's a rapidly moving environment. Please pay attention because it changes by the day. And secondly, the fact that, yeah, we're making progress, but Citrus progress might be different than the negotiating committee standard. And right now, I, I'd say we might get to an agreement in 30 to 60 days. I'm hoping it's going to be something that the members are going to accept. And right now, I'm still skeptical, but we're moving. We're moving. Chris, I hope I answered the question. All right. Thanks, Ed. Uh, next question. Can somebody explain the timing of moving forward with a strike vote now? Why aren't we taking the vote now? I'd like uh, Captain Larry Cutler, the LaGuardia chair, to address this. I, I think it's appropriate for him to answer. He was the maker of the motion uh, regarding last week's strike vote. So, Larry, over to you. Thanks, Chris. Uh, thanks for the question. Yes, yeah, this is LaGuardia chair Larry Cutler. Um, you know, what we have right now, we got a board of directors, national officers. We're, we're all in lockstep solidarity with the negotiating committee, Chris. Uh, it's it's a measured, it's well-researched, it's a defined strategic plan, and that's what we're moving forward with. You got to remember the Alaska and Delta pilots, they both took strike votes before reaching their agreements. They had about 99% voting and 96% in favor. And it's really important to remember in the case of the Delta pilots that it was Delta management, not Delta, that filed for NMB mediation. Ice recently, he acknowledged that the Delta Pilots Mediated Agreement is the foundation for our forthcoming CBA, 
So we find ourselves negotiating from a position of strength and ready for mediation if necessary. But we need overwhelming participation from the pilots, voting strongly in favor. Then if we end up at the NMB to close out an agreement, it will be done with the weight of a strike vote at the outset and in hand should we eventually be released for self-help. And to your question of why we aren't taking the vote straight away, uh, we, need, we need time. We need a little bit of time. We need all our pilots to ensure maximum participation. This takes some time. That's why STOP, NCN are really busy working hard. That's why the strike center is opening so we can reach everyone. It's important that we all work to contact every pilot. Not everyone's online. We got to reach out by whatever form of media it takes, word of mouth, phone calls, cockpit conversations, concourse conversations. We have to educate people on the RLA process. We have to unify around the collective expectation that we all have of an industry leading CBA. So, I, you know, we say it in our blasts and I'm asking here, you know, ask yourselves and the pilots you're flying with every day, what personal steps that you're taking to help us achieve that. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Larry. Uh, all right, next question. Uh, what is the timeline for the Alpha exploratory process? So <clears throat> this is all spelled out in resolution 2020-25. That's available. You can go to the APA homepage, quick links, board meeting information, resolutions. But the quick summary is, um, the APA Alpha Merger Exploratory Committee has requested and they've been given a standalone board of directors meeting that's going to take place on the 1st and the 2nd of June. At that time, they're going to present their findings to the board. The board will happen, uh, have an opportunity to vote on pursuing a merger. If that vote passes by uh, two-thirds, then the Exploratory Committee will be sunset and the merger, the merger negotiating committee will be elected and they will engage with uh, Alpha representatives to negotiate the terms of a proposed merger agreement. So really to the to the question that was the timeline, there isn't a timeline specified in that resolution beyond the presentation of the Exploratory Committee findings. Uh, let's see, last question, and then we're going to move on to the committees. The APA Alpha Merger Exploratory Committee will have a special meeting dedicated to giving its report on June 1st and 2nd. When will the membership get to provide input to the process? And I believe that uh, FO Jason Gustin, DFW Vice Chair, wanted to address this. Jason. Hey, thanks, Chris. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you spoke to the, the broader uh, timeline for the Alpha Exploratory process, which, which answers a part of that question. So the uh, chairman of the committee, Captain Tom Duncan, um, is uh, is out there doing the committee's work right now and, and expects to have uh, his his work product, the overall report done before that uh, June 1st and June 2nd um, uh, special board of directors meeting. I spoke with him this week uh, specifically on the subject, and, and the goal is to have that out and to the board, um, ideally a week or more prior to June 1st. Um, typically, when, when committee reports are presented to the board, that, that's a board product. They don't get immediately released to the membership. So uh, in the upcoming meeting, in the first week of April, uh, the board steering committee, which I happen to be the chair of, um, we're, we're going to try to tackle um, this question of, of when to share that with the membership because it, I think it serves everyone to have a better understanding of the uh, of the committee's work prior to the June 1st SBOD. So what we'd like to do is, is have an approval process uh, already fleshed out um, so that once that committee has completed the work, uh, we can share the uh, the report with the membership. Um, <clears throat> subsequent to that, um, you know, there's no requirement in the uh, in the resolution that that once the report is presented or once the presentation is provided to the board that there's an immediate vote. So 
Um, I think that the time from the report being um, made available to the membership and the first uh, of June uh, SBOD would, would kind of be that window. I think that the question is is addressing is you know, when does the membership get to you know discuss it with your with their reps. Um, and I'll be available to answer any other questions on, on that timeline as required. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Jason. <clears throat> uh, moving on, the grievance resolution ad hoc committee. We've got Captain Tracy Perella, the chair of that, uh, of that committee. And before Tracy comes up, I think uh, Captain Sitcher, who created this ad hoc committee last year, wanted to say a couple words. So, Ed, you're back up. All right. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, you know, the, one of the weaknesses, in my opinion, of APA has been the incredible backlog of grievances. Uh, you know, we've, we're on a bankruptcy era contract that is difficult to enforce, admittedly, because of the weak wording. But to make matters worse, you know, we've got a backlog of grievances out there, and, and we really haven't had the firepower to do it. What we did is uh, we put together a grievance resolution committee. These guys are experienced. They know what they're doing. Tracy Perella, Sean Clark, they've been around the block on this, both with uh, US Air and TWA. And uh, we brought in some, some new guys that are, that are awesome, you know, and, and these guys are digging into the grievances. And what we're doing is we're putting the grievances back in the hands of the pilots. The pilots should be the ones to rack and stack these grievances to determine whether or not they should be elevated, expedited, whatever, whatever it is. And, and uh, also to look under the hood and coordinate with our negotiating committee, to coordinate with our contract compliance committee, so that we, we present a more united front on the grievances across the spectrum of all the committees at APA. So, you know, to those ends, we put this grievance resolution committee together. I'm absolutely elated. It, hey, my apologies. It took me seven months to get this thing going, but it's going and it's going strong. And, and I fully intend to go ahead and try to get these grievances resolved before we get this contract negotiated. There'd be nothing worse than to go ahead and keep these grievances rolling through to the next contract. Now, now the wording's changed. You know that the company's going to go ahead and say, hey, no site, no precedent. Try to pay us pennies on the dollar, therefore benefiting from violating our contract for the last 10 years. And, and before I keep going too long, just, just remember, guys, you know, here we are over a decade out of the last contract albeit it's a bankruptcy or a contract, but still 62 items have not been implemented. 62. Now the company blames it on IT. I blame it on laziness. I mean, this is ridiculous. If, if there was a real stick to the grievance process, there wouldn't be 62 unimplemented items. So anyway, with that having been said, I'm going to let it, let Tracy take the floor. I'm sorry. That I said so much, I just wanted the members to know what the background was on the grievances from my point of view. Tracy? Ed, thank you. Uh, Chris, thank you for hosting. And Pat, thank you for helping me with the budget. <laughs> um, uh, as Ed said, he charged, uh, put four of us together. Um, I was for 20 years the uh, hotline, which is basically our, our, like the APA hotline. I was the hotline chair, uh, grievance chair, for Alpha and USAPA under both the America West and US Airways collective bargaining agreements. Uh, Sean Clark, the deputy chair, was the grievance chairman for TWA for uh, many years and then served on their merger committee. Um, and then the two new guys who were just phenomenal, Scott Craig came from a wholly owned and Eric Lewin from the military and with triple C backgrounds, they have been, I, it's very hard um, to work with a committee that somebody else put together and Ed did a fantastic job because the four of us have just melded and complemented each other's uh, uh, strengths and weakness and helped the weaknesses. Uh, 
Um, current statistics right now, um, as Ed said, we do have a, a tremendous backlog of grievances. Um, the first update that I sent out in February, we had 200 grievances. It's down to about 165 now, um, only because the we had a PAC, a pre-arbitration conference, and the excuse me, uh, the company settled um, some of those grievances. They also had a scheduled um, arbitration, um, and the company settled those grievances. However, it should be noted that that it appears to be the operandus modus operandi of this company that they only become um, interested in settlements when a grievance has worked its way to arbitration. And then they enter into what Ed said, these non-precedent, non-referral agreements that pay our pilots 80 cents on the dollar. So, so you're a pilot out there with a grievance that you've been waiting for resolution on. You have um, pilots that you work with that are waiting for resolution on your grievance as well, because it may, it may affect them at some point in the future. And then, and then they get settled that they can't reference them. The company's free to continue the violation. And then they know that if we ever get it to arbitration, they can pay us 80 cents on the dollar. That's the type of, we need to change their behavior. We need, we need new um, policies, procedures, and language so that we can change that behavior. Um, as I said, uh, since the JCBA uh, 2015, very few grievances have um, proceeded to arbitration. In fact, uh, single digits. Um, have proceeded to arbitration, um, unlike our peer airlines. And, and um, we all have gotten the side-by-side um, uh, -side contract comparisons of the other airlines. And since, since I went back and looked, since I became a member of the APA with the U.S. Airways merger, um, those contract comparisons um, do not include the grievance, arbitration, and discipline sections of the contracts. And and we say the committee, and I think that I think that I know that the officers have this same view, is that we can't have any confidence in negotiating new collective bargaining agreement with the company if we don't have mechanisms to hold their feet to the fire, even with something as easy as pay. We don't have any confidence that they're going to pay us properly if we don't have sections in our contract or how can we ask for pilots to vote on a new collective bargaining agreement if you're not confident that what we're voting for is ever going to come to fruition because the company violates the, the, uh, the contract. Um, our peer airlines um, hit it out of the park. They Alaska and Delta specifically completely overhauled their grievance and arbitration sections. Um, by way of example, both Delta and United eliminated the company's ability to take stenographic recordings during investigations of discipline. We are the last airline left to have that provision in our contract right now. Uh, Alaska hit it out of the park with penalties if the company is slow to pay, 10% penalties if they don't pay within 60 days. Um, they hit it out of the park with full, restora uh, full restoration of back pay if a discipline is overturned at arbitration. And on the surface, this may, may say, you might say, well, that, why, why is that important? But arbitrators work for both employers and employee groups or labor unions and, unions, and they, want, they want to make sure that they continue to come back to work for both parties because they're jointly chosen. Um, and what arbitrators have a history of doing is splitting the baby. If they overturn discipline, then they usually take a reduction in pay 
or they give a penalty of pay. Alaska eliminated the arbitrator's decision to make to split the baby at all. If you put the pilot back to work, he gets full back pay and restitution. Um, so we have, as part of the process that Ed charged us, that Captain Citra charged us with, we have analyzed all of our comparator airlines. And just for those, um, uh, you'll be glad to know that we included the legacy airlines in this as well, because there were very good provisions in TWA, US Air and America West. Um, we didn't go back to Reno because that had happened um, so many um, prior to bankruptcy, but we brought those airlines forward. We analyzed them. We gave our report to the, um, to the board of directors um, in February. We provided them with additional information and with negotiating committee recommendations so that not only can we incorporate the best practices that these other airlines have been able to negotiate, but that we can incorporate industry leading practices as well. Um, one last thing, I encourage everybody to go back and read the update that got put out this last weekend on a Bay Now Grieve Later. I'm a nerd. I have a master's in labor relations. I, I like this stuff. I hear and I read a lot of stuff on the forum about Obey Now, Fly Now, Grieve Later. It's not something that is unique to the RLA. It is across all labor unions. Um, so I encourage you to read the update. If you have questions, please reach out. Um, if you send us a question um, under the uh, grievance resolution ad hoc committee, somebody will get back to you. I have one email that I'm waiting to return and that's it. So please, um, so if you're out there listening, you know who you are. Um, please reach out. Um, um, I, I encourage you um, to send all your questions to us, your recommendations. Um, if you have experience in grievance and arbitration, um, please reach out to us. I, I know that we can, uh, that, that, Hopefully, if this committee gets going, it should be noted that the APA is the only airline pilot union that did not have a grievance committee until Captain Sitcher formed this in January. So um, I hopefully we'll be looking for more volunteers. And if you're interested, please reach out to your representatives. Um, lastly, please, please, please know the contract and follow the contract. Do not do the company's job for them. I, I answered a question on a on a uh, Facebook post the other day, an answer or a question about how Skyhop is running late, how do I get an Uber, how do I get reimbursed? And my answer is don't do it. It's the company's responsibility to provide transportation, know the contract, fly the contract. When pilots, as the fixers that we are, when we step up and we fix those, you know, put those um, plugs in that dike, we, we allow the company to, to um, um, not to develop good practices. It's our respect. Do your job, do your job only, and know your contract. Hey, Tracy, while I've got you, I'm gonna, there's one uh, question in here. <clears throat> and not to put you on the spot if you don't know the answer, and that's fine. Um, but this is somewhat in your lane. How do we compare to other airlines in non-implemented contractual items? Do you know any idea? I, I don't know. That isn't my lane. Um, I can tell you, we we um, in regards to grievance and arbitration, we are the um, we are the outlier in many many areas. Um, um, but uh, in as far as the unimplemented items, I am not sure. Okay. Nope. I just I thought I'd throw that out there. All right. Thanks, Tracy. Next up is going to be family awareness. Uh, we've got uh, Captain Jerry Gemma. Hi guys. Thanks for the, uh, the opportunity to talk to you. Uh, we're out here, we're uh, doing, uh, we got Sun and Fun coming up on uh, March 28th, April 2nd. Uh, many of us will be out there all week. 
I've got an email out there to a lot of people about if you want to get in our camp, we're develop we we've got, we're going to have a organized campsite. The bigger thing is which we started last year is we have a pavilion show center on the flight line, which is absolutely phenomenal. I think Jerry might be locked up here. So let me uh, give you two seconds. I'm just going to mute him so he doesn't jump back in here. Um, so I, I can speak to some of this. Sun and Fun next week, as Jerry started talking about, um, I'm actually planning on being there. I know that the Miami reps are planning on being there as well. Uh, uh, Captain Citrus is planning on being out there. The, we've got the APA Pavilion for those days that are shown March 30th, April 1st. It's uh, it, that's a smaller window than what the Sun and Fun actually is. So uh, please come out for that. And then the Finney Flight uh, Push, this has been very successful. If you've been following the APA pages, um, uh, Facebook pages, uh, a great success getting folks in there to recognize our pilots who are, are finishing on their last flights. We do need help doing this, though. So if you are interested in volunteering, please uh, email that finneyflight at alliedpilots.org. Uh, with that, we will move Thanks, on Chris. to contract compliance. Yeah, sorry, Jerry, you're cutting out. Uh, yeah, we'll I dropped out. Yep. Uh, Jason, Captain Jason Saxer, you're up. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Captain Jason Saxer, uh, thanks for everyone for being uh, involved and engaged. Uh, Captain Jim Coey, uh, another fellow member of the committee, is lurking in the background. Um, we're going to go through a little town hall question and answer, see if anybody's paying attention. We'll give a quick update on hot topics and then uh, give a plug for our uh, upcoming town hall. So here's the uh, town hall question of the of the month, if you will. Uh, I'm a reserve pilot, and I've been assigned a sequence that flies into my non-golden DFP and returns to base prior to 12 noon home base time. What happens to my DFPs? There's the uh, five answers there. You can select the choice that you think is most accurate. Um, the DFP is moved with uh, mutual concurrence. The DFP slide. The DFP is forfeited, the pilot's paid above guarantee, or uh, at pilot option, either A or D. So give a best guess at your answer for that. Uh, while everyone's um, answering that question, our current issues and trends, um, <clears throat> as I feel like a broken record, but we're playing whack-a-mole as it were every, every day. Uh, we're getting pretty good at it, but um, if you have any holiday pay issues that are outstanding, please uh, reach out to us and or send a uh, grievance form to get added to Presidential Grievance 2317. Um, that's kind of the holding tank for those until that process is uh, resolved. Um, we were informed, I know David Courier's on, on the list of panelists, but I don't think he's going to speak, so I figured I'd steal a little bit of his thunder. Um, there is a slight uh, issue with daylight savings time. You, if you're on reserve and had a DFP um, on Sunday, you may notice that you had an additional hour added to your DFP time. Um, it appears that FOSS may or may not track that appropriately for a 30 and 168 break. So if you're getting an assignment this week and, and you're thinking that you may not have had 30 hours free from duty, um, please examine your schedule closely and bring it to a scheduler's attention. You can reach out to us and or David's team and, and we'll uh, get you straightened out if you need it. Um, there's been a lot of Facebook postings, which is a great resource, whether you're on BTL, the line, the arena, your Snapchat group with your new hire buddies, whatever. 
just take that with a grain of salt. If if you see one of the Triple C members, myself or or Doris or Bush, are pretty uh, involved on those. Um, or if you're searching and sleuthing and see a, a, a post by uh, Captain Chris Torres in, in the past, great for using the search function, but you can pretty much guarantee that those are, are spot on. If you're getting advice from one of your fellow pilots, it, it may be close to accurate, but it also just realize that um, there's a lot of inaccurate postings on there and some of the advice may have changed or been modified. So just be aware, reach out to your resources, which brings me to my next point. Um, start with the Compass Project, get a baseline for what you do or do not know. Reach out to contract admin. Every uh, domicile has a local triple C team that should be uh, helping with the uh, uh, questions that are coming up. And uh, if they uh, if it's outside their lane or they need some further assistance, um, you can always obviously reach out to us too. When contract admins closed, you're uh, the contract compliance committee is available 24 seven uh, via the same phone number for those emergency issues. Uh, for the last thing there, as you can see posted our next uh, contract compliance town hall, triple C training forum, if you will, is March 29th at 10 a.m. We ran through, uh, I think about 40 on the, Triple C town hall that we did a week or so ago. So it's great. Uh, we'd like to see more engagement. If we can get every uh, one of our 15,000 pilots to be a contract expert, uh, that would be our, our final and ultimate goal. So please sign up for that. If you have a topic that you want us to talk about, please let us know. If you think that uh, the time change needs to be made to accommodate more people, you can let us know that. Again, our email address is posted there, contract desk compliance at alliedpilots.org. For the uh, poll answer question, the correct answer is uh, choice B there. Um, it looks like about 50% of you got that correct. So that's cool. Um, for the other 50%, please, please sign up for one of our contract training courses. And we will cover not only this, but anything else you want to talk about. Um, and uh, thanks for being engaged. Hey, Jason, and I'll, I'll uh, throw one question out here. Uh, and this is really an individual question, but uh, when can we expect to be paid for the New Year's holiday pay? Will it be a separate check? Um, it, if you have not already been paid for the New Year's holiday pay, it will be a separate check. Almost all of them were separate checks. Um, if you have not been yet paid for that, uh, start with a direct connect, and then you can uh, loop us in if you have not received a response to it and or it's been denied and you think you're still entitled to holiday pay. All right. Thanks, Jason. Uh, next up, we're going to move on to the Maintenance Technical Analysis Committee. Captain Shannon Hankins. Shannon, you're up. Yeah, I'm Captain Shannon Hankins, DFW 737, Chairman of the uh, MTA Committee. A couple of things here that we've uh, been watching over the last couple of months uh, uh, that I want to share with you today. They're going to be uh, discrepancies um, uh, dealing with uh, MEL deferrals and a little follow up on the international uh, special flight permits that we're seeing of uh, uh, aircraft that have gone out of service overseas and what the requirements are to uh, ferry them back if you are tasked to do so. But I'd like to lead off and say that the, the, the quality and safety of our tools and our aircraft by which we make our trade, they depend heavily upon us to document any anomalies or discrepancies that we might see. Uh, th this includes uh, not only on our pre-flights, uh, in-route portions, 
uh, our walk arounds, uh, when we have time, even doing cabin, you know, walkthroughs, just uh, being observant there. Take the time, do your due diligence when you're uh, starting out a trip or you've got an aircraft. Take the time to go through and look around and, and see what might be jumping out at you. Uh, as always, there's only one right answer when you come across an anomaly or a discrepancy, and that is to put it in the book. When you're in doubt, put it in the book. We have uh, numerous calls that have come in over the last week where we have crews that uh, are either being debriefed about items in the jet bridge that the previous crew had. If you run across that, just casually go in, either ask them or yourself, place it into the book and, and, and annotate that you were previously briefed. Uh, but whatever you do, make sure you put it in the book. Uh, if you observe an anomaly of any kind, engine tactile vibes, uh, hydraulic whine in the tiller when you're turning, bulbs out in discrete uh, uh, lights, fluid leaks or evidence of fluid leaks, make sure it goes into the book because that gives maintenance the information that they need to track. And there are there is value in seeing discrepancies repeat. Uh, at certain times. Uh, maybe maintenance doesn't catch uh, the leak uh, initially uh, uh, at an outstation, but when it gets back, if it's written up again because you, you've written up evidence of a hydraulic leak, uh, it can be further investigated. The next item that we are starting to see a trend, and this has probably got a lot to do with the pressure and the schedule out there uh, uh, on maintenance uh, or AA, uh, is uh, how our deferrals are being uh, documented in the book. Uh, for those of you who got a pen and paper there, you might want to write down uh, in our GPM, which is our General Procedures Manual, which governs a lot of our maintenance uh, procedures, uh, which can be found on the iPad. If you go to your charter operations on your iPad, you can come down and you'll see the GPM uh, listed there. Uh, when it comes to an item being placarded, there are certain procedures that our maintenance technicians have to go through uh, prior to being able to defer an item. So when a PIREP or a discrepancy is entered in the logbook, and for whatever reason, uh, the company is going to NEL that, there are certain steps that have to be performed prior to, and one in the corrective action block, um, according to uh, GPM Chapter 17, is that prior to even requesting MEL authorization uh, from MOC, there has to be some form of troubleshooting that is performed. Specifically, Section 17 states that prior to deferral uh, or approved for continuous service, it can only be done after careful evaluation using an approved or accepted technical data reference. Again, throughout that chapter, it will also say in 17.16.7 that the procedure for deferring an item, you have to use the appropriate technical manual to troubleshoot the fault and correct the item if possible. Now, anytime that maintenance performs a maintenance action, the technical data reference by which they're using must be provided for in that corrective action block. For example, if you have a PIREP and maintenance is going to defer it, the very first thing in that corrective action block should be that they have troubleshot that particular PIREP 
with a reference, and that reference is to be documented to the minimum of the third element. You might be asking, what is the third element? What you will see in that corrective action block should be something to the effect of FIM, which is the fault isolation manual, or the AMM, which is the aircraft maintenance manual, and then you will have six digits um, after that. It'll be 52-03-01 or AMM 52-02-1. And after that troubleshooting technical data reference is placed in that block, then that uh, item may be checked and approved for deferral. You may ask yourself, why is this, uh, why is that procedure in there? Well, before we can, before maintenance can MEL an item, they have to run some form of troubleshooting to accurately ascertain exactly what the fault is. Our observation that we make while in flight, we may have numerous PIREPs. The troubleshooting procedure that they are required to do will completely ascertain if those items are related, if they're unrelated, or what the particular fault is with that system is, so that they can accurately identify which MEL would apply. What we've seen over the last month or so is in that corrective action block, we will see merely a checked approved for MEL with no troubleshooting. We will follow up on those items and see that down the road a ways, we will see where they then do troubleshooting, uh, for instance, a bite check and find no fault. So they didn't even take the time to do the basic troubleshooting and ended up placarding operative systems. Or we have seen where there has been no troubleshooting and we have a myriad of PIREPs which happen to be related, but they utilize the wrong MEL on each system just to move the metal down the road. We can stop that if we fully analyze when we do our logbook review and make sure that there is some form of documentation for troubleshooting prior to that MEL being applied to the aircraft. If there's any questions about this, again, that GPM reference is in GPM 17, and it's in GPM uh, 1701 and GPM 1716. Um, the next item I'd like to talk about is our uh, international uh, special flight permits. We still have a few of these. We actually had uh, quite a few of them in the month of December. And uh, uh, for those of you that uh, uh, take APA uh, email, and if you didn't happen to see it, the MTA put out a uh, uh, information bulletin on the procedures associated with uh, international special flight permits and what those procedures are. Um, we had an incident with a aircraft that was down in South America that we had two crews that were sent down to recover the aircraft. And in both instances, uh, both the crews, uh, uh, kudos to them, reached out to the MTA and uh, queried uh, as to what paperwork and what documentation that they needed. And so we informed them that they needed overflight permission from the country that they were departing from and any countries that they were overflying. Uh, when they queried the company about having this permission, they were told that they had it. However, when the crews requested the company to send it to them, they never received it. 
that that was the situation with the first crew. Uh, the uh, flight was canceled. They sent a second crew down to pick the aircraft up, and we had a repeat of the same. When the crew asked for the documentation for overflight permission, uh, it was uh, it was not afforded to them. And what we found out when we uh, started looking at the maintenance records and in uh, ASOM, we found that two days, uh, actually three days after the fact, finally the company made the request for overflight permission. So in neither incident uh, uh, situation beforehand, uh, when the crews were told that all the documentation had been prepared and all the, the uh, squares had been checked, uh, which they had not, we had found out that they had not even made application for overflight permission. It's, it's very important, uh, folks, that we have overflight permission uh, when we're flying an aircraft that does not technically meet the standard of airworthiness. Uh, many of these countries have additional rules and requirements uh, that have to be met prior to those aircraft leaving or overflying their country. So that may be routing, that may be altitudes. Um, uh, there's a whole host of requirements uh, that vary country by country. We uh, hey, highly, sure. highly recommend. We, we got to wrap it up here. You give us about a 15 okay. second wrap up. Yeah, we highly recommend that if you have any questions on that, contact the, uh, go to the APA website and contact the uh, uh, numbers there listed and we can provide that documentation for you. All right, thanks, Shannon. We're going to move on to uh, Aeromedical, FO Rondo Flynn, Aeromedical Chair. Chris, good evening. Thank you. And members, thank you for being on this town hall tonight and staying very engaged. Um, first, I'd like to thank uh, two deputy chairs, Tom Rumfer and Eric Friedman, for contributing, contributing for tonight's presentation. Uh, one very important safety alert from the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency. Just a couple of administrative items and then a few nice-to-know items. Next slide, please. So the DEA has a public safety alert out to... Two Mexican drug cartels are importing fentanyl from China, along with what's known as a pill press, and forming pills look identical to prescription drugs. These prescription drugs, everyone knows as Oxycontin, Adderil, Xanax, and Percocet. So be on the lookout. And what really brought the safety alert to light is that it's gone an uptick from 40% to 60%. Each one of these pills they've found to have 0.6 milligrams to 6.3 milligrams. What does that mean? It means two milligrams, just a little bit more than the tip of a pencil, has a fatal dose. So think about that, three times potential fatal dose in one prescription drug. So the obvious recommendation for the DEA is never take a pill that wasn't prescribed to you, never take a pill from a friend, and never take a pill bought on social media. We cannot stress this enough. This is not a DOT positive test. This is something much, much more serious. Next screen, please. So moving forward, <clears throat> two administrative items. First, your FAA medical certificate. We're now in our second month of updating it on aapilots.com. We have a long green banner on the aeromedical page. Um, it's quite easy. It's a couple of instructions that you'll go through. Again, I'd like to thank Tom Renfer and Eric Friedman for putting that together for our members. It's a quick walkthrough. The backup secondary way to do it is the IOC duty pilot. Also, when it comes to our medicals, we highly recommend that you remove your home address from your medical certificate. There's no reason that the public needs to know more information than they already know about us. So feel free to opt out of your home address. 
And then another thing, speaking about our medical, when you do get your medical and you do fill out your MedExpress, there's actually a number of things that you have to check out. And it only displays the first 20 of 64 items. And so you do have <clears throat> the right to receive the rest of that information. And that's actually about over two thirds of the information. And this goes into the deeper action of when you get exposed to the medical community in general, whether it's your AME, your healthcare practitioner, and so forth, they take clinical notes on us. So you wanna be uh, really out front when it comes to your healthcare. If they make a mistake and they put down a number, just think about a blood pressure number that would kick you out of a normal versus high blood pressure range, you wanna know about it. You want the ability to edit and you want the ability to understand what they are writing about you. And then of course, we wanna hear about your AME. Was it a good experience, a bad experience? We have a bar right here, this black bar on the Aeromedical webpage. So you can tell us about it. Next slide, please. So FEMA events, they have a seasonality components. Those of you on the Airbus, you probably wanna pay attention um, as they outrank other fleets with um, SOF or FEMA events. So again, we have a long red uh, horizontal banner that's on our webpage. We highly recommend whether you're at the hotel this evening or at home, you wanna print out a few copies of this multi-page protocol. If you end up in the emergency room, you hand it to the emergency room doctor or any other healthcare practitioner you're talking to. They will walk you through the different tests and it will give them a clear understanding of what actually you're exposed to. Not every emergency room physician uh, has a toxicology background. They may not be familiar with organophosphates and some of the things that are included in our engine oils that can, close, that can cause harm. And then lastly, a couple of nice to knows, Surgery Plus, we've had a, some feedback from some pilots who have this. If you have an AA medical insurance option, I believe it's all but one, it'll allow those who want non-elective surgeries, you know, a whole host of benefits. We typically don't promote a product, but we've had a little bit of feedback that we thought we'd bring it to the member's attention. And then lastly, beginning of this year, we started not exactly an aeromedical book club, but a recommended reading list. And uh, you'll see a tab for each month in the future going forward. But this month has been a real winner. Um, these books we're picking are very aeromedical centric, things that will increase your health, really basic little tactics that we can all learn from. And this one is called Why We Sleep from Dr. Mac for Matt Walker. And on finishing, for those of you who have your smartwatches and you're wondering where the sleep research comes from, it's this guy, Dr. Matt Walker out of UCSF. Chris, thank you. And members, thank for being engaged in your health. It really matters. All right. Thanks, Rhonda. We're going to move on to the scheduling committee. Uh, so I've got three folks listed here. Uh, Captain Ryan Gertz is going to be speaking. Uh, Drew Coleman and Andy Weingram are not available because they are with the negotiating committee uh, as we speak. So, uh, Ryan, you are up. Thanks, Chris. Uh, just have a couple announcements. Uh, the vacancy bid does close on Friday at 8 p.m. Central. Uh, the estimated training for this is going to be June, July, and August. Um, secondly, uh, TTS opens on the 23rd. Uh, Real-time rollout for Charlotte, Miami, and Dallas also uh, starts this month for April flying. That's going to be uh, 10 o'clock on the 24th. And lastly, we're supposed to uh, publish PBS tomorrow at noon on time. So, uh, that's all we got, Chris. All right, thanks, Ryan. We'll go on. We got two questions for you. First one, real-time TTS has dramatically reduced my ability to change my schedule and decrease quality of life. While I understand some of this is due to being short-staffed, even TTOT was better than what we have now. What are we doing to fix this for the long-term? 
Uh, we do agree the interface is a bit clunky, clunky, but for the most part, the software is functioning as programmed. Um, there are improvements we would like to see in the software. Uh, we've expressed these changes uh, throughout the testing as well as the rollout period. Um, TTOT is going away, and that was agreed upon in the 2012 JCPA as well as uh, the Wilson letter. At this point, contractually, we don't have any control over the OTLs and TTS, just like we don't have any control of the lights in TTOT. All right, next question. Sorry, this is a long one. PBS can reach a point in seniority that requires a minimum line credit value for every pilot from that point below. While pilots above this line have the full line construction window, pilots below the line are forced into a line of time between the target average line value and the upper end of the line construction window. In essence, pilots below the line have a seven hour window to work with while everyone else has a 14 hour window. Uh, does the union recognize this as a problem and what are they planning to do about it? Yeah, the minimum required line value as, as well as maximum allowable are problems. Uh, this was known about a long time ago. Uh, the Kerry Presidential Grievance 18-087 was filed in August of 2018 addressing this issue. Um, a settlement was reached in July of 2021, um, and that's how we reached to resolve this. Uh, one of the first things to, for the settlement was the reserve LN processing, the enhanced process where it does keep your uh, days off requests in the event that you go uh, into LN, um, it keeps your long or short call status as well. So we're not seeing issues with that. So that was a success. Um, as, for, as far as the grievance on the minimum required line value, there's programming that has been done uh, to address this. We're in the process of testing this grievance uh, programming. And as long as it's successful, we'll be good. If, if it turns out that this uh, programming is not sufficient, then there's a chance that we'd have to uh, set the grievance aside and go to arbitration at that point. Next up, NCN, Captain Santa Mertz. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. And uh, thank you, everybody, for being so engaged uh, in contract negotiations and everything else going on with APA right now. Um, at NCN, our upcoming stuff is uh, concourse conversations. Tomorrow is the, the near-term stuff in Chicago from uh, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Next month is going to be Miami on the 20th of April from 8 to 4 um, Please consider stopping by in Chicago. I'm guessing we'll be in the HK connector, which is where we normally uh, set up there. Additionally, we're always looking for new volunteers. So uh, please consider volunteering for NCN. It's very low work, very little time, but what it is is very high, uh, high reward and very effective communication. Face-to-face -face communication is the most effective form of communication for any kind of uh, communicating. And we need more face-to-face -face communicators for APA so that we can have effective communi communication, not just to the pilots from APA, but also receiving um, feedback from pilots so that we can get that information back to the leadership so that they can uh, be following membership guidance. If you're looking to volunteer, go to alliedpilots.org slash NCN or email us at uh, ncn at alliedpilots.org. We can add you to our list. Um, this is an important part of uh, negotiating right now, and uh, being part of NCN will only make us more effective going forward at negotiating. So thank you all for, for your engagement, and thank you for uh, listening. All right. Thanks, Senator. And, and I will add that uh, as long as the Dallas weather doesn't prevent it, I plan on going up to Chicago tomorrow. So if you're in Chicago tomorrow at those times, uh, come by and stop by, uh, stop by say hi. Uh, all right. So 
here's where I got to uh, give everybody some bad news. So like I said in the beginning, um, I got a call from the negotiating deputy just minutes before we went on board, or, or I started the call here, and he said that uh, he didn't think they'd be able to make it. Um, they are, as, as Captain Citrus said, uh, effectively locked down. Um, the, they have been, and I'm, I'm going to read what he described to me here, they've been locked down, they've been, do, been doing 16 hours days, uh, getting out around midnight. It is unfortunate that they can't be here. Um, however, uh, I would argue that what they're doing right now is uh, for the betterment of the entire pilot group. So I don't have an update. Um, there are a couple questions that I can give an answer to, but some of the questions that, um, uh, that were asked, I'm not going to answer on behalf of the negotiating committee. So we'll go through these and then Ed, I'll circle back around to you uh, and, and you can give your update uh, <clears throat> that you mentioned in the beginning. Uh, first question for the past several weeks, the negotiating committee has provided a weekly update. Why was one not done last week? So I, I kind of talked about how much they have been uh, at work all weekend. The negotiating committee was prepping for what they expected to be doing this week. The policy manual, it, it's fantastic that they've been providing weekly updates. That's actually not required for policy. Per policy, it's every other week. So they are still in compliance. Uh, and I talked to John Owens, uh, it was either earlier today or yesterday. He said they do expect to have a blast out uh, by the end of this week. Uh, is the negotiating committee pursuing full retro pay back to 2020? Yeah, if you look at their update on the 18th of February, they stated that they're seeking back pay for 2020, 2021, and 2022. And then I'm going to put these next two out there, but I, I'm not going to be able to answer them because these are um, uh, hinged on the negotiating committee. Will retiring pilots be included in retro pay? Uh, and, and I'll tell you, a lot of uh, folks have asked that question. Uh, and then same question for profit sharing. If I worked half of 2023, would I be eligible for any profit sharing that gets paid out in 2024, even though I'm on retired status? I unfortunately cannot answer that question. That is a question for the negotiating committee. Uh, Ed, did you want to jump in with uh, any additional information that you got from Captain John Owens? No, I mean, this is a rapidly moving environment, Chris, and stuff is going back and forth across the table. And, you know, a lot of times we're getting, you know, what comes back after it's been passed. So it's difficult to go ahead and comment on this. I can tell you, though, that it wasn't missed and, and the sound offs were there on the importance of retro pay, you know, without without at least insisting on some kind of retro pay in some form. All we're doing is encouraging the next negotiations to be dragged out at infinitum, you know, uh, and as far as profit sharing goes. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, Robert Isom said at the table or no, in his blast that he was willing to give us Delta type profit sharing. And we also know that the original profit sharing that was given under the last TA included other work groups besides the pilots. Uh, it was, you know, by the way, uh, and let me back up on the profit sharing. Delta went first at the investors conference this week. And Jamie uh, Baker, the, the guy who ran this thing, said in no uncertain terms, and, and by the way, Bastion repeated it that Delta has paid more profit sharing to its employees, the one airline, than all the other airlines combined. So we've got our management on the defensive for the fact that they have offered us such a paltry uh, profit sharing in the past. I'm not sure if that portends well at the uh, table. And, and I really haven't gotten a report back from John Owens as to whether the original profit sharing that we were, uh, I guess, offered or at least was on the table for the last TA was, was enhanced. I'm assuming it has been, but I, Chris, I really don't have any more other information on that right now. Okay, thanks, Ed. Uh, so with that, we've, we've reached the end of our presentation. 
Uh, I want to thank everybody for showing up here. We're going to hang out after we stop the recording and we can take a couple more questions. But uh, for the official portion of this, uh, thank you all for being here.